It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Good morning. Good morning. How's your day? Awesome. Yeah? Again, I did hot yoga. It was amazing. It wasn't crowded, so I didn't have to like be right up in someone's, you know what? And I wasn't that hot. I just felt like I have my new GSD wake up blend that I'm bringing you What's in Nashville. GSD? Get shit done, wake up blend. Is it essential oils? No, dude, it's a powder. And Wes is even addicted too, okay? He thought I was psycho. Comes in a little shaker, one scoop. You make the shaker before you go to bed. You put it next to your nightstand. It stays cold. Before you you get up like this, sleepy, chug it, wake up, and all of a sudden you literally freaking fly out of bed. (laughs) Amazing. You need it. I need it. Okay. I'll make you a double scoop. (laughs) So I'm glad you're energized and ready to go. Okay. I'm ready. I have a question for you. Oh, God. What is the best way to start a day? Is it that powder or what is the best way, Alexis, to start the day? What have your grandparents and your parents told you for like your whole life? Breakfast. Breakfast. Breakfast is supposedly the best way to start the day, right? Yeah, and it's so weird because I'm a breakfast girl. I love breakfast. It's just the timing is so horrible. But if I can drive through and get a bomb-ass breakfast, I'm I'm there. Yeah. Well, we've been told since we were like little kids that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? You've yeah, been told that. fuels your brain. Fuels your brain. The name literally means like break the fast because like as we've been told, breakfast breaks that overnight fasting period, and it replenishes your supply of glucose to boost your energy levels and alertness. Oh, that's great. That's what I'm telling my children. Yeah. So you and I happen to share a favorite breakfast food, and we even order it like the exact same way. Bacon, extra, extra, extra crispy, almost burned. Like borderline burned. Borderline burned. I mean, bacon is everything. There is no better smell to wake up to. There's no better taste to put in your mouth first thing in the morning. I guess unless maybe you're like a vegetarian or something. But for me, it's just like the perfect breakfast. Bacon. Bacon. Where's the bacon? I smell bacon. 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 Gotta be bacon. Only one thing smells like bacon. That's bacon. Bacon, 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 bacon. Oh my God. If I like smell breakfast in bed, like if I- smell bacon in bed. Yeah, that's what I meant. Bacon. I like- would sleepwalk to go like yeah wake up and get it. So you and I are not the only ones who love bacon, and I'm I'm sure that's not a surprise to you. No. Did you know that a few years ago, a survey by pork supplier Smithfield found that 65% of Americans would support the idea of making bacon our national food as a country. Of course. <laughs> and the typical American consumes 18 pounds of bacon every year. Which I think is actually low. I think I probably consume. <laughs> I can way do more. a pound in a sitting. I know. Um, and in 2020, 268 million Americans consumed bacon, with over 16 million of those people eating five pounds of bacon or more per year. It's a lot of bacon. Chef Beckett, 
you were brilliant. In all, I mean, at all these restaurants are doing bacon. America is is obsessed with bacon. Like there's, that's it. That's hands down what it is. There are bacon of the month clubs. There are bacon camps, like camps for bacon. Like you make bacon or you're like, you just work off the bacon. Celebrate bacon. It's everything bacon. Bacon has been referred to as a fashion statement after a bacon bra was made and photographed. Oh, bacon bra. And there's even a dating app for bacon lovers. It's called Sizzle, and it was smartly created as a PR stunt by the folks at Oscar Mayer. And the description for the app is interesting. It says, when you're looking for love, you can only hope to find someone you love as much as bacon. While Sizzle can't guarantee that, it can guarantee your match will love bacon as much as you do. The, this dating app for bacon lovers comes from the minds at Oscar Mayer and promises to connect you with other like-minded people. Each potential match shows you a profile picture as well as how they like their bacon, whether they'd grab, offer up, or split the last piece of bacon on a date, and their location. Just hold down the sizzle button to indicate how much you like them, and if they like you back, you'll be notified so you can start chatting, share some bacon, and maybe even find that you have more in common than an affinity for cured meats. Oh my God, don't tell Wes that, because when he's pissed at me, he's going to go on the bacon dating app. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be like smoked bacon. That's his jam, probably. Oh yeah. So I may have failed in the past. As a friend, okay? I just want to admit that. Okay. When we covered Snickers, I didn't bring you a Snickers. When we talked about fast food like Taco Bell and Burger King, I didn't deliver because you don't really like fast food. But today, Alexis, today I am the best friend. Okay. I brought you bacon extra, extra crispy, almost burned. Give me one of those bacon. Oh, from there you go. the spot. Yes, her favorite little spot. So enjoy your bacon quietly while I take you through some fun stuff, Okay. So are you curious? Like, we're at, we have a marketing podcast last time you checked, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a bacon, like, proclaiming love for bacon podcast. So why are we talking about bacon? Because we love bacon. <laughs> okay. You may be shocked to know that once upon a time, not so long ago, people had to be convinced to eat bacon for breakfast. Like, they had to be convinced. When? I will get there. And... The concept of breakfast being the most important meal of the day is actually something that was completely fabricated by one company in an attempt to sell more bacon. No way. That's awesome. And it worked. So I know it's hard to imagine breakfast without bacon, but bacon for breakfast was not even a thing that Americans did until the 1920s. Wow. The entire reason that Americans consume $16 billion in bacon every year is all thanks to one PR stunt, and that is why we're talking about it. I knew I liked PR for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, not only was bacon not even part of breakfast until like the mid-1920s, breakfast didn't even exist in the U.S. as a meal until the mid to late 1800s. What? Yeah, seriously. So I'm going to call that time period in the like world history before bacon. So we'll call it BB, like instead of BC, okay? <laughs> okay? So let's go back in the day to BB time. The Romans actually believed that it was better to just eat one small meal a day versus three meals. That's why their bodies were so hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and indigenous people of America believed that eating small meals, essentially snacking through the day, that was way better than eating larger meals, okay? Hmm. Okay. But as the Industrial Revolution began and people moved into cities, 
their eating habits changed. And people began to leave the house to go to work for the entire day. And of course, when they left the house for the whole day, they needed a substantial meal to start the day. So at that time, people pretty much ate the same thing they would eat for dinner or lunch for breakfast. Like there weren't a lot of options, you know? Yeah. And when they started to eat breakfast and eat those big hefty meals, Americans started having this problem. Like it it was a national problem of indigestion. Like I'm not even kidding. And they actually called it, I think I might pronounce it wrong, dyspepsia. And if you look back at magazines from that time period, there were tons of stories about this problem. And early dietary reformers, like this dude named Sylvester Graham, started proclaiming that people needed to make diet changes to avoid this. And he tried to encourage people to embrace vegetarianism, and he wanted them also eating more whole grains. And that was in the 1800s. Okay. okay? And actually, because of Sylvester Graham— A whole wheat flour at that time became popular and actually was named Graham flour because of that guy. And out of this concept, breakfast cereal was actually born. So another Victorian era like health nut named James Caleb Jackson was experimenting one day in 1863 and he mixed up the Graham flour with water and he baked it like flat. And then he took that big, like, flat bread-looking thing, and he broke it into a billion teeny pieces, and he baked it again. And that became the first breakfast cereal, like, meant to be rehydrated with, like, milk or water or tea or whatever. Crazy. I don't like that guy because cereal is my guilty pleasure. It's like the, I it's like the hate cereal. single reason I think most people get the Freshman 15. <laughs> I know. But plus, at night, I didn't buy cereal for my kids forever. You know that? Because I would eat it in the middle. I would get up and eat it. Oh, my gosh. Like, just dry. Like, the Lucky Charms marshmallows. Oh, my gosh. You know they have just bags of marshmallows now? No cereal? I know. My kids are Jess, our old employee, bought me an entire bag. Oh, my gosh. And I have to confess, I probably ate, like, three quarters of it. So, by the 1920s, people weren't doing as much manual labor as they had in the 1800s. And... Also, the desire to stay skinny suddenly became a thing. And that led people to cut their breakfast down from these like heartier dinner lunch meals to something a little lighter. So the typical breakfast in America became just like coffee and a roll or maybe on like a crazy day, oatmeal and fruit. But like there wasn't meat. That was just what it was. Okay. So that quickly became a problem for those meat makers, specifically The Beech Nut Packing Company. The Beech Nut Packing Company. Yes. Now, I had never heard of that company's name before. Had you? No, and it doesn't sound like a meat company. It sounds like a nut company. So, they are still around today, but they are a baby food producer. They don't do meat. Interesting. And they're like a big one. Like, they're a ginormous company. I had no idea. But the company's roots go all the way back to 1891 to a little town in New York So these five guys founded a company specifically for the production of this beech nut ham. And the product was based on the smoked hams of one of the founder's fathers who was a farmer. Okay. So for the first decade or so of the company's business, its main products were just ham and bacon. By the way, like, I'm just curious, how do you go from bacon to baby food? Like, that's a pretty big departure. I don't know. (laughs) That's weird, right? But... In 1900, Beech Nut Packing Company did 200 grand in revenue. That's kind of good, I mean, for the times. And that would equate to $6.5 million today. And that was just nine years after the company was born. So, like, that's pretty impressive. That's really impressive. Yeah. 
And then in 1920, the beach nut people were like, they were getting comfy. They were like, this is going well. But then they looked one day at their numbers and they're like, what is going on? And they found that bacon sales were like seriously dipping, like off the charts. Okay. And as we just said, like bacon was their jam and a very critical part of their business. So they were like, we have to fix this. Yeah. So can you happen to think, Alexis, back to something we maybe covered previously, one famous fixer from the 1920s who we maybe have talked about in a previous episode? Eddie? Yes, your pal Eddie. Otherwise, Eddie. Otherwise known as good old Edward Bernays or the father of public relations. Oh, yes, I knew. You know what? Brilliant. Brilliant. This guy comes back. He comes back. Is he alive? No, he actually, okay, he died in 1995. He was 103, and this is crazy. He was charging $1,000 an hour for PR consulting up until the day before he died. He had a client meeting at 103 years old the day before he died. That dude was a freaking workaholic. That's how he lived till 103. Seriously, but yes, we're talking about Eddie Bernays, In one of our first episodes, we covered Lucky Strike, and I know that's one of your faves, and how, like, Eddie got women in the U.S. smoking to sell more Lucky Strike cigarettes. That was all him. I feel like Eddie and I would be friends. Oh, for sure. And quick refresh, if you didn't listen to that one yet, Eddie is the nephew of Sigmund Freud, so he actually used to, like, legit name drop his uncle Freud before he had a career to get people to, like, take him seriously until he built enough of a name for himself. But the reality was, like, Bernays was brilliant at understanding the human psyche in terms of what compelled consumers to be swayed by an idea or product. So along with his infamous work for Lucky Strike in 1929, he was also known for a few other pretty big things, which I don't think you know about. Okay. He was the guy who was hired by the Aluminum Company of America to use the American Dental Association to convince people that water fluoridation, wait, is that how you say it? Fluoridation or is it fluoridation? Fluoride, 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 water fluoride, that the fluoride in the water was safe and healthy to the public. Okay? Okay. He also dreamed up and executed a campaign for Dixie Cups. Like those little disposable cups. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. I have them all over my freaking house. That scared people into thinking that drinking glasses that they were drinking out of were unsanitary and that they should be replaced by disposable cups. That was him. Well, I'm not going to lie. Have you seen people wash the beer glasses at bars? It's so disgusting. Also, he was hired by President Coolidge to help run his re-election campaign in 1924. And he got that dude re-elected. So, Bernays. Needless to say, Eddie had a name for himself. And by the time the Beach Nut guys ran into their bacon problem, they were like, who else do we turn to? Like, it's Eddie. Eddie. So, they hired Eddie. They were like, dude, how can we sell more bacon? And knowing that his retainer with the American Tobacco Company in 1929 was 25 grand, I'm going to assume it was something similar here since that info was nowhere. And as a reminder, that would be like a 400K retainer today. So Eddie got to work. If he could convince Americans to get involved in World War I, something else he famously did, he knew he could sell more bacon. I mean, after all, is it really hard to sell bacon? I know. Who has to? Well, I mean, I'm going to say now there's like 9,000 options. You never know. That's true. Lex, 
Yes. What would most brands do if sales were in a slump and they wanted to get people buying their product in stores? Like, what, like what's a go-to move, a typical one? Dress as a chili pepper? <laughs> well, that's you and me. But most people would run ads with discounts and coupons, right? Right. Like, that's a pretty normal tactic. Yeah. The problem with this, like, it's a short-term tactic, and you and I talk about it all the time. It can also really cheapen the perception of the quality of the product. Yeah. Or, like, create this, like, coupon-driven customer, right? Yeah. Which is not ideal. Doesn't, not. doesn't like, create long-term change. No. But, I mean, for bacon, come on. You think for bacon it would have worked? Well, I don't know, depending on like the quality of the meat or whatever and what they were going for. But I think that to make a, I don't think it makes a significant change. I think it's just like, hey, let's get a blip in sales. Yeah. You know? But also, if you think about the problem that they actually were facing, people didn't even think they needed to be eating or they should be eating big breakfasts or meat for breakfast. So, like, it wasn't even about the price of it. Like, this was before the Great Depression. It wasn't about that. It was about like, they didn't want to eat bacon for breakfast. So they had to change more than the price or like they couldn't just offer an incentive. Weird. So Bernays knew that coupons were not going to do the trick. He did some research and he landed on what he was convinced would impact bacon sales, specifically at America's breakfast tables. He resolved to change America's eating habits. Okay. That's a big, lofty goal. That's a big goal. Yeah. So the first thing he did to make this happen was consult the doctor. Brilliant. Yeah. He found a famous New York doctor, and with a few winks and a few nudges, he asked the doc whether a hearty breakfast might be better for Americans than the basic breakfast they were getting from that roll or their coffee or cereal. Bernays was like, so doc, you agree that the great hardworking people of the United States of America need more calories to start off the day, right? Right. That's how he asked the question, okay? The doc was like, sure, why not? And then he went on to agree with Eddie that the body loses a lot of calories during sleep and jump-starting the morning with a bigger meal could really help get people going. Of course. Why not? So Eddie was like, amazing, doc. I knew I hired you for a reason. And then he was like, now, doc, Would you mind writing letters to 5,000 other doctors across the U.S. to tell them of this this discovery and realization that the body lost energy during the night? And then could you ask them, didn't they agree that eating a hearty breakfast would be a better way to recover? So the doctor wrote the letters, 5,000 letters. And he shared his quote-unquote findings. They weren't findings. Findings, It was just like... There was no, like— And he put it out there, and the doctor agreed. And he asked them all, do you support a heartier breakfast or a light breakfast? Well, the good doctor got 4,500 responses. Like, out of 5,000, that's pretty good. Wow, that's huge. And according to Eddie, all of the docs he wrote to agreed that a hearty breakfast is the way to go. Of course. Why not? Yeah. So actually, Eddie is interviewed in a video, and I think it's from the late 80s or early 90s, sometime before he passed away, about this great bacon campaign. And it's really cool to hear him talk about it. Many years ago, our client was the Beachy Nut Packing Company. One of their basic problems was bacon. We made a research and found out that the American public ate very light breakfasts 
of coffee, maybe a roll and orange juice. We thereupon decided that the only way to meet the situation was as follows. We went to our physician, found that a heavy breakfast was sounder from the standpoint of health than a light breakfast because the body loses energy during the night and needs it during the day. We asked the physician, after telling him why we were talking to him, would he be willing, at no cost, to write to 5,000 physicians and ask them whether their judgment uh, was the same as his, confirmed his judgment. He said he would be glad to do it. We carried out a letter to 5,000 physicians. Obviously, all of them, we got about 4,500 answers. All of them concurred that a heavy breakfast was better for the health of the American people than a light breakfast. So now that Eddie had this consensus among America's doctors, he took the next important step. He wrote a press release. Oh, perfect. And he publicized those results of this so-called survey, and I'm doing air quotes, to newspapers across the country. The headline proclaimed, 4,500 physicians urge Americans to eat heavy breakfasts to improve their health. The story ran everywhere. And are you wondering, like, how did Bacon become part of the story? Because Eddie didn't ask the New York doctor or any of the other 5,000 doctors about Bacon specifically. Just about, like, a hearty versus a light breakfast. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. But in the press release, and therefore in the story that was published across the nation, reporters included the helpful note that there was no heartier meal than bacon and eggs. Brilliant. So he just like slipped that in there. And he slipped it in there without any real credit to any one doctor at all. And the media just believed it. And so the people believed it. Oh my gosh. And the people bought bacon like never before. It was flying off the shelves. Like bacon. Bacon was everywhere. And not just this, that one company. I forget. I mean, Beech Nut was, Beech Nut. Beech Nut saw a huge increase in sales, but who I'm sure whoever else was making bacon was like, heck yeah, yeah. you know? So There wasn't like a Bacon Society of America that contributed <laughs> to his retainer? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, despite like all the hours and days of diving deep into the archives of the internet, I could not find any specific like dollar amounts of the sales increase. But in that video I mentioned, Eddie says this about the results of the campaign. As a result, the sale of bacon went up, and I still have a letter from Bartlett Arkell, president of Beach Nut Packing Company, telling me so. So basically, he was just like, sales went up, and like everyone just took his word. (laughs) But I mean, they did go up. So the ironic part, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to you, Lex, is that bacon is super unhealthy. Like, It's high in saturated fat, sodium, and cholesterol, none of which are healthy or good for you. The headline of the story kind of makes it seem like if you eat bacon for breakfast, because you're gonna be healthy. Yeah. Like it's a it will improve your health. That's what the headline said. So 
Very interesting. And I mean, I get why none of the news reports would have mentioned that because that would be bad for bacon business, right? Yeah. Not to mention the fact that that longtime adage that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is also kind of BS. Well, you know what's crazy is Bernays is actually so smart that he came up with this whole thing and didn't talk about one, like the American Nut Company Mm -hmm. because— The Beach Nut Company? American Nut, Beach Nut, whatever. The Nut Company that makes baby food and bacon (laughs) um, is because what if this press release went out and was mentioning them and it said that it will improve your health? They could have got sued later. Oh, totally. And so he was brilliant. Well, he never mentioned the companies. If you remember, too, like the American Tobacco Company, he never mentioned Lucky Strike specifically no. in his press release. So I wonder if that, like, he actually knew that there could be repercussions from things like that. or And he was just like, I'm going to generalize it. I don't know. He's a smart dude. But back to the breakfast being the most important meal of the day, like being BS— In June 2014, two studies got a lot of attention when they refuted that saying. Like previously, studies were done that associated eating breakfast with lower body weight, and breakfast continues to be recommended as a way to like kick off a healthy metabolism, right? Yeah. But researchers at the University of Alabama at Birmingham found that skipping breakfast did not have any notable effect on weight loss efforts in a 16-week study they did on obese and overweight participants. Another study found that eating breakfast every morning was not associated with metabolism improvement. What about brain function? Well, another study, though, published by the Harvard School of Public Health, evaluated the health outcomes of something like 25,000 men, and they found that the men who skipped breakfast had a 27% higher risk of heart attack or death from heart disease compared to the men who regularly ate breakfast— And those researchers believe that people who do not eat breakfast end up eating more at night, which could lead to metabolic changes and heart disease. Or more at lunch. So like there's there's the good and the bad. So I think it's safe to say that breakfast may not be like the most important meal of the day, but it's still important. Yeah. And for bacon, I mean, almost every article out there today will tell you that it's probably not a good idea to eat bacon every day for breakfast, but like in moderation. Eat your heart out. I wonder how many times I eat bacon during the week. I don't eat it often enough. See, because I don't eat it that much for breakfast, but we cook with it a lot for dinner, and which is probably unhealthy because then you eat it and you go to bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I just love bacon. <laughs> so today, 100 years since bacon became the go-to American meal for breakfast, 70% of the U.S.'s bacon is consumed at breakfast. Yeah. Bacon and eggs is an iconic American combo. I mean, literally, it's named the American breakfast on like almost every restaurant menu you can find. And the world continues to credit that breakfast bacon obsession to our buddy Eddie. Eddie. And I mean, while his tactics can be viewed as a little shady, the lesson is interesting, I think. I mean, rather than trying to sell or advertise a product directly— You know, he utilized experts to persuade customers who then trust that expert that a problem existed in the first place, and he let them find their way to the product or solution for that problem. So brilliant. I know. But might I suggest, if anyone out there is thinking about doing something like this, maybe you should actually facilitate like a real study (laughs) Like, instead no, of just, like, just persuading like a doctor. doctors wrote letters. 
Like, it just sounds a little sketch. You know? Not back then. Now everyone's like, what? Everything. I mean, what Facebook verifies. <laughs> Facebook will be oh like, nope, this was not fact-checked. Oh, my you gosh. Know? But I know I don't have to ask Alexis because facts are facts. This one has stuck and will stick. Forever. Forever. And now you can finish that bacon because you were eating it really loud and I made you stop. So you need to finish that bacon. I just want to know, why don't we have bacon jerky like that we can just munch on bacon all day long? I bet you someone invented that already. (laughs) Probably is. You got to go find it. Oh, real quick. Dunkin' Donuts came out with, have you had their um, snack and bacon yet? Uh, no, but I <gasps> saw it. I was going to order it. It is really good. It's got like maple flavor, like maybe a little brown sugar, but also it's like a spicy tang like to it. So it's like a weird combo. It's really good. Oh my gosh. Well, if you really want to have a heart attack, I taught my kids how to dip bacon in Nutella and it is oh, bomb. Oh my God. Okay. Well, while you chomp on that bacon, I will shout out my sources. The videos of Bernays talking can be found at prmuseum.org. The American Psychological Association had a great article from 2009 by Lisa Held titled, Psychoanalysis Shapes Consumer Culture. And there was an excellent article in Time Magazine from 2015 by Alexandra Sifferlin titled, Five Fascinating Facts About Breakfast. And another great one from The American Table titled How Bacon and Eggs Became the American Breakfast. And of course, I'll list all the other sources on our website at willitstickpodcast.com. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed the episode. So please follow us on Instagram at willitstickpodcast and visit our website at willitstickpodcast.com. And leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you, you listen. You can't leave reviews on Spotify. I wish you could. But leave them on Apple Podcasts and follow us everywhere. Oh, well, Spotify, get with it. I know. What the heck? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Peace out. <laughs>